So this week, we start our Advent series. It's, it's kind of crazy to me that we're already approaching Christmas. 2020 has been this very weird conglomeration of things going really slow and then things going really fast. And I feel like right now I'm on a sled downhill and we're going real fast. But it's, it's good, man. I love, I love the Christmas season. This, this season where we remember and celebrate the coming of Jesus, born as a little child into our world. I love this season where you remember just how important that gift is for each and every one of us. I've always always loved singing the the Christmas hymns, the the carols of this season. And this year, we're going to take a bit of a different approach to our Advent series. As we are going to be working through the first verse of one of the most famous of these carols, the carol we just sang, Joy to the World. I look forward to working through this season and the texts we have ahead of us through the coming weeks. I I pray that each of you will be as blessed as I have been as I have done my preliminary work through these passages. Today, we start with the first line, joy to the world, the Lord is come. The Lord is come. My first year at seminary. I had the privilege of being part of a group that went to Chad, Africa, to visit some of our missionaries, but also to experience what the mission field was like for them. It was quite the experience. The shock of being dropped into that culture hit you from all sides. Some of it was pretty fun due to its newness. Sitting on the ground around a large dish and eating communally instead of our own plates around a table shooting a bow and arrow at the nomads camp that they, that they used to, to keep their flocks safe. Watching one of my professors receive the gifts that one of the communities we visited gave him, two chickens, which he just had to stand there and hold out while he's giving his acceptance speech. And the birds are sitting there trying to attack him. It was, it was just a fantastic picture. He's just holding these things. They're trying to like peck him and he's trying, it was, it was just wonderful. I'll never forget being ushered into a room in a stall at the market and haggling over the exchange rate from American dollars to the currency that we would be using for the remainder of our trip in Chad. And I'll always remember the way the children would laugh at me when they saw me and how the village chief made fun of me because only women wore jewelry in their nose. It was a different world. And though much of the culture shock that I received was harmless, eye-opening, and fun, some of it was not. Being propositioned by a street crew of what looked to be girls that were still children was sobering and heartbreaking. Realizing that the infant mortality rate is so high that even many of the families at the Lutheran Brethren Seminary in Gunagaya, the families of men training to become pastors in the church, in the Chadian church, didn't name their children until they were a few years old. Seeing the swollen bellies of malnourished kids Witnessing such extreme poverty and being stopped on many occasions by men carrying guns who at least claimed to be army so that they could check our paperwork and being concerned about extortion, among other things. It was good to be with the missionaries in Chad, and though there were some awesome times and some great memories, it was also very hard to be with the missionaries in Chad. Though elements of my time with our missionaries there were hard for me, I realized that I can't begin to imagine how rough it must have been for Jesus to be with us. Our text this morning is Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. It's just one verse. 
Let's read the word of the Lord together this morning. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Thus ends the reading. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak to us from your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. The context of the passage is that Israel is in a bad place. They're being assaulted, ganged up on by Syria and Ephraim. King Ahaz needs help, and God sends the prophet Isaiah to Ahaz to let Ahaz know that if he would repent of his sinful living and leadership, if he would call to the Lord for help, the Lord would help him. Ahaz refuses. He decides to seek help from an earthly power instead of a heavenly one. In response to Ahaz's dismissal of the Lord's offer for help, the Lord responds through his prophet Isaiah, first with a rebuke of Ahaz, and then with our text this morning, a promise of a son born to a virgin, a son who will be named Emmanuel. Emmanuel, which means God with us. My short visit To Chad, my brief 10-day glimpse gave me such a culture shock that I am still conscious of the reverberations these six years later. I can't imagine the culture shock that Jesus went through. We're talking about the Son of God. We're talking about God Himself. We're talking about one person, one element of the Trinity, holy, perfect, without sin, coming to live in a world broken by the very acts of offending and hurting Him. Broken by sin. We're talking about the sovereign God of the universe becoming human and experiencing hunger and thirst. Experiencing the heat of the sun and the cold of the night. For the first time, he would know fatigue. For the first time, he could be cut and bleed. Jesus left a world of perfection to come and join us, to come and save us from a world of brokenness. Who of us have been someplace like like Disney World or that fantastic vacation by the beach where the sun is warm and the sound of the waves is nice and relaxing? The breeze is cool as it plays through the tropical leaves under which you bask. Picture for me right now in your mind's eye what you would consider a perfect vacation and then how many of us would want to go home and leave it? How many of us want to leave our version of perfection for the grind of daily life? And with that as the starting point, I can't even begin to imagine Jesus' transition. We're not capable of understanding it because we do not have the capability of understanding perfection. Our dream vacation, our picture of perfection is just actually brokenness that sounds good. That sounds better than other brokenness. That's the ceiling for our understanding of perfection, a more preferable brokenness. But Jesus knew perfection, and he left it on purpose to be with us, to save us. He left true and utter perfection for the purpose of his mission. Are we ready to be on mission like that? Though we cannot understand or begin to comprehend the depths of what Jesus gave up to come and be on mission for God here on earth to come and save us, we do know that he calls us into mission in some pretty uncomfortable ways. 
Are we okay with that? How are we doing with that? I'm reminded of Jeremiah 29. Most of the time when we hear Jeremiah 29, we think of of the most often quoted verse, uh, verse 11, which states, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And let me tell you, if there's a list of verses of Scripture that are taken out of context, this one's right up there near the tippy top. But we're going to take a look a bit earlier in Jeremiah 29. We're going to start in verse 4, and we're just going to go to verse 7. But first, a bit of a spoiler. Back back in our text uh, this morning in Isaiah 7, King Ahaz doesn't call on the Lord for help. Even though he receives this fantastic prophecy of God with us, he decides to call on Assyria for help. And Assyria helps. Assyria defeats Syria and Ephraim, and then Assyria helps itself to Israel as well. Assyria takes most of Israel as slaves into Babylon and leaves only a remnant behind. And the words from the prophet Jeremiah that we are about to read are given to the group that was taken to Babylon. Jeremiah 29, 4-7. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So what's going on here? What is God, through his prophet Jeremiah, asking his people to do? Our God is so incredibly fantastic at taking what is meant for evil and using it for good. In this instance, we are seeing his people get wrecked for their pride and their overindulgence and their idolatry. Ahaz says, no, I don't need your help, God. And in response, His people are conquered, and the vast majority of them, the richest of them, the most talented of them, are taken off to Babylon into exile and captivity. And what does God tell them to do there? Build houses. Plant gardens. Marry. Have kids. Find spouses for your kids. Increase in number. This isn't what they want to hear. They want to hear a rescue plan, right? Like, hey, we're in exile. We're not where we're supposed to be. Come get us out ASAP, yo. Like, this is what you're supposed to do. But instead, instead, God says this isn't going to be a short visit. This isn't a brief time out where they put their nose in the corner until the teacher says it's okay to join class again. This is a serious break. This is generations of time away from the land that they want to be in. The land that they expect to be in. Why? Why is God doing this? Pray for the prosperity of the land into which you have been brought. God commands his people in exile. Now this is way before the coming of Christ. This is way before the grafting in of the Gentiles that we see in the New Testament. And yet God is sowing the seeds of ministry in the heart of the land of the enemy. He is asking his people to set up shop in a place that they may not like and that they didn't expect. 
He's asking them to live there, to settle down there, to do ministry there, to make friends there. And he's asking the same of us today. Be with the people I have sent you to. Live with them. Shop with them. Eat with them. Suffer with them. Cry with them. Mourn with them. We see it in the ministry of Jesus, the Son of God who came down, left perfection to live amongst brokenness and ate with the known sinners of the day, the most broken of the broken, if you will. Obviously, we are all sinners, we are all broken, but Jesus spent most of his time with a crew that began to realize just how broken they were as Jesus ministered to those that knew they were broken. All of this despite the criticism, the schemes, and the traps of those who opposed his message. And here, all these hundreds of years earlier, in Jeremiah, we see God calling his people to do the same thing, to live with, to be with, to marry, to raise children, to share their beliefs with a people that were foreign to them, in a land that was hostile to them. God is calling us to do the same thing today. He is sending us to our neighbor. He is calling us to live amongst people that are different from us, whose understanding of things may be offensive to us, who do not follow God's commands because they do not know God. He is calling us to share with them the love of God, the truth of his word, his scriptures, and the hope that we, who are also broken, have found in the one who makes us whole. He desires to use us in places that we do not feel comfortable. That we might be lights for him in this world of broken darkness. So how are we doing with that? How are we doing with being involved with people that are uncomfortably different from us? How are we doing with ministering to people that we don't understand and maybe don't even really like that much? As we struggle to do what God has called us to do, I am so thankful for the one who did it perfectly. The one who was prophesied about in that room so many years ago, I am so thankful for Jesus, for Emmanuel, for God with us. I'm so thankful that Jesus immersed himself in our sinful, broken world, but was not tainted by sin himself. Where we stumble and fall, Christ was perfect. And Hebrews 4.15 tells us that he experienced all of the things that we experienced. He was tempted by all of the same things that we are tempted by. And think about that for a second. Jesus was with us in a completely physical sense. He was immersed in our world. And so the temptations that called to us called to him as well. The sins that ensnare us, they sought to ensnare him as well. We see this clearly when we read about Jesus being tempted in the desert. Satan tries to get Jesus to be selfish, to put himself before God. He tries to get Jesus to seek power. He tries to tempt Jesus with wealth. Are there any bigger temptations for mankind than the idolatry of self and the seeking of power and wealth? But where we fail, Jesus was perfect. He knows, he deeply understands the temptations that you face. He has faced them. Your God can relate to you because he is with us. 
He slummed it down here on earth for 30-some years as a human. So he knows intimately our temptations and our failings. But where we give in and break on the altars that we have constructed in our sinfulness, Jesus was perfect. How thankful I am for that perfection. For in his perfection, Jesus overcame our imperfection. Because Jesus never broke, he could heal our brokenness. Which is exactly what he did when he climbed that hill to Calvary. Carrying the cross on his shoulders and with it the sins of the whole world. Are we involved in God's mission perfectly? Are we with our neighbors? Are we with the people that God has called us to be lights of the world to perfectly? Have we joined Jesus in his mission in the way that he has called us to perfectly? No. As a church and as individuals, we have not. And so we have failed, not just in this, but in every possible way we have failed to be perfect as God has called us to be perfect, as God demands perfection. Though we want to be good people, though we may strive to keep the instruction and commands that he has given us, which is a good thing, this is what we are supposed to do, there are always times where we fail. And so Jesus carried each of those failings with him to the cross. And it was on that cross that Jesus was cast from the presence of God, abandoned on that cross because of our sin, because of our brokenness, because we weren't able to say no every time that we should, and we didn't say yes all those times that we should. Because we have sin that we are born with, that we inherited from our father Adam. Jesus knew our sin intimately. He saw it all around him for all those years, and still he chose to die for it. To die in our place that we would be forgiven. That all the sin he witnessed through all those years and all the sin his sovereign mind knew would continue to happen. He died that it might all be forgiven. And through faith in his death and through faith in his resurrection. And the defeat of sin and death we are covered in his righteousness. And restored to relationship with God, no longer tainted by sin in the eyes of the Father, but wrapped, clothed in the righteousness of Christ. The one who has, or sorry, the one who was, and the one who is with us. I love the Christmas season. I love this season in which we celebrate the gift of Jesus. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Joy to the world, the Lord is with us. What a fantastic, wonderful, amazing, loving, and powerful God we serve. Amen.